Welcome to Coffee with Connections, powered by Centurion Wealth Management. I'm your host, Cooper Zimmerman, the Director of Communications here at Centurion. We're a fiduciary financial planning firm based out of McLean, Virginia. In this podcast, well, this is an exploration of ideas, insights from high-performance professionals, and commentary on all things investing, business, and entrepreneurship. But it's important to remember that this podcast is not investment advice. This series is purely educational and for entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to consult a professional before making any financial decisions. Now, let's get to this week's interview. My guest this week is Zechariah Schaefer. Zechariah is an advice-only financial planner for Gen Z and millennial crypto investors, and he also focuses on working with STEM and healthcare workers. In this episode, we discuss on why he founded his company, Ascent Personal Finance, and why he enjoys helping others build financial freedom, his transparent pricing model, his thoughts on the crypto industry, and much, much more even the very concept of retirement. This is a great episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's get to it right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Coffee with Connections. I'm joined by a special guest, someone who I've been uh, following on social media on LinkedIn. If you guys know me, you know I'm a LinkedIn advocate. No, I don't work for LinkedIn. I just, I'm super <laughs> uh, bullish on the platform. And really the reason why is because you get to connect with awesome people like you, Zechariah. So good morning. How are you? I am doing great. What's up, everybody? It is good to be with y'all this morning. Awesome. Well, look, man, I'll just say I've been, you know, I, like I said, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. I think what you're doing is, uh, it's fascinating to me. You know, I mean, I, we work um, in the same industry, right? Financial services, giving advice, talking about money with people. Um, but I think I first spotted you. I was like, wow, this is something different. This is something new, something that I think is an underserved market. And what I mean by this folks listening is that it looks like you're an advice only financial planner, but you have a special focus on Gen Z millennials. And you're very, it seems knowledgeable about the cross blend of crypto world and traditional financial assets and investments. So that was a big mouthful. Maybe let's just back it up before we get started. How the hell, how'd you get into this? How'd you get interested in money? That sort of thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the like the two or five minute story here. Um, so it, it goes back really far for me. Um, when I was young, uh, my parents, well, even further, uh, my dad worked in Wall Street and he was a trader. He did really, really well. And so for the first like what, seven ish years of my life, uh, we lived a life of affluence. You know, I was the... Uh, the kid growing up in Massachusetts outside of Boston and then in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And I mean, I went to the tennis club. I had golf mm-hmm. lessons for a pro, like looking back at like boggles me, like that was the life that I was living. Um, Cause like now I understand like how to get there. And, um, but then when I was like seven or eight, my parents got divorced and we, and when I say we, I mean, my brother, my mom and I went from living this life of affluence to not only, you know, emotionally and in some other ways, life getting turned upside down, but also financially life getting turned upside down. And although my mom did not make bad decisions, I think that she made some really high quality decisions. I know that financially 
managing her own money for the first time in her life, along with everything else that was going on, was really, really stressful. Um, and I know that if she had had access to a high quality advisor, she probably would have at the very least had more peace of mind going through that time, if not made higher quality decisions. I don't think that she made bad ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so just like very early in my life, I was exposed to the side of finance where, you know, my dad worked in Wall Street was doing really well. And then also the side where my mom was struggling and she's trying to support her two sons, trying to deal with this huge transition in life and also manage money for the first time and couldn't afford the advice that she needed. Mm. Um, and so from a very early age, I was exposed to that. And I think that kind of at that time, I didn't realize it, but my drive to help people with their money was born. Wow, okay. And, you know, it was a winding path from there. I got super into the uh, software engineering and cybersecurity side of things. In middle school and high school, I thought that I wanted to do that. I started my school robotics team, did a bunch of other stuff on that side. But the whole time, just money and finances really fascinated me. And in my senior year of high school, I ended up taking this personal finance class. Shout out to Mrs. Mills. <laughs> and I realized that, like, I just love this stuff. And, you know, everyone in the class was kind of struggling. And I mean, they were doing fine, but they were struggling to concentrate and not really having that much fun. And I'm just like sitting there like, wow, I, I love this stuff. I'm having a blast. Right. Um, and I just realized, you know, I think I want to do finance. So I switched my intended major in college from software engineering, cybersecurity to financial planning. And I mean, the rest is kind of history, but basically what happened is in college uh, for several years, I already been super into crypto. Um, I ended up making and losing a whole bunch of money my senior year of high school into my freshman year of college. And although uh, the crypto that I did end up keeping and didn't lose due to some mistakes that I made and uh, some lessons that I paid a high price for, sure. um, that ended up paying for most of my college. But along the way through college, I kind of gained this skill set of coupling my experiences and my mishaps with crypto with the mathematical side of finance that I was learning in my classes, in my education, from my mentors. And alongside of that, I was working at some different, really high quality, in my opinion, wealth management firms. Um, but just like when I was young, you know, my mom, someone that I really loved, needed help. Now I'm in college, I'm finishing up going to get a job at one of these firms. And my peers, my friends, they really need help. Mm -hmm. And yet, they come to these firms and they do great work and I support it and all. But unfortunately, the firms, because of the business model, say, we'd love to help you, but we can't. You know, our minimum is a million dollars. And unfortunately, we're not going to help you yet. And for me, like I'm a big hiker and I was like, well, hold on a second. Like if I was hiking a trail, I should be able to get a trail guide at the start. I shouldn't have to wait until I'm literally at the top of the mountain to mm -hmm. have a trail guide and have someone to help me along. And I just kind of saw this huge glaring need in the industry for someone to come along and provide high quality collaborative advice for young people that isn't selling them a product and that isn't trying to manage their assets because most of them don't need products. They need help with their student loans or with their behavior. And most of them don't need investment management because a robot can do it. And maybe the human doing it will add maybe 1%, probably less mathematically speaking, 
the math doesn't show that there's that value there. And so I was just like, well, someone should create this model. And then I realized, hold up a second. Like I've always wanted to start my own firm. Why don't I just start my own firm? Like what's the worst that happens? Like I'll get a job I love anyway. So I decided to, to go for it. And that's how Ascent was born. Um, fast forward, you know, it's like early 2021. I've been in business for two or three months. I am working on DoorDash. I am working in another firm. I'm hustling. And fast forward about six months later, I end up getting some large clients. I'm able to move to running the business full time. And here we are now. Um, awesome, man. Yeah, it's going well. Dude, that's, that's, so that's interesting because I think I, I didn't know the full backstory that you from the start were involved and knowledgeable about like what people call like, like kind of like the web three crypto, like DeFi, like things that are outside the bounds of normal quote unquote money management investing for the traditional sense. So that, that's interesting that you were like from the start involved in that knowledgeable about that. Um, so from my perspective, it does seem like, and you're right, that our industry in general, like let's take it from let's take it from us on the inside first. Generally, young people come into the industry, and you work for a like, a, and I did as well. I worked for a big company, and you essentially mm-hmm. you don't necessarily. It's really not even up to say like you don't. No one's thinking about your own brand or your own like craftsmanship around like the way you interact with clients. It's pretty much like follow this blueprint that we're going to give you. Make X Y Z cold calls. Maybe if one out of thirty of you stick around past eighteen months, then you'll be here, and then you can be an established advisor. Then you kind of can do what you want to do, right? That for more or less, and this might like rub some people. A lot of the advisors that listen to the podcast like it might rub the wrong way, but that's our industry, generally speaking. And now I say it as a fierce advocate of fiduciary financial advice, like, you know, we, we give people, but, but I think it, it is long overdue to be disrupted might be the right word, but innovated upon for an underserved market, specifically for younger people, but even people that are in their thirties, forties, you wouldn't call them Gen Z or millennials that necessarily don't they don't think of the financial advice like they almost just like rebuke that style of financial advice. They want something more familiar, agile, driven on, you know, social media, easy to use website, that sort of thing. So I I think you're spot on, man. I think you're, I think if anything, the industry continues to evolve into the model, what you have. I mean, I think you're early right now. I think it's like you said, I'm glad that it's starting to grow and pick up because I think you're probably two or three years away from being like, everybody waking up and thinking like, wait a second, like this is a vastly underserved market. And by that time, you know, you're going to have four or five years under your belt on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I believe that I am skating to where the puck is going to be. And I say that, uh, you know, with hopeful, uh, intention, (laughs) but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I have no idea what the future holds. But there, uh, there's, I think, approximately 300,000 advisors in the U.S. And about 299, 5,000 of them, 299, 500 of them are under that investment management or commission model. Mm-hmm. And there's really only about 500 of us that I know of that are doing advice only. And as, you know, the, the current... Gen Z and millennial age group, I think the oldest millennials are like 36. Um, as they grow up, I mean, we are the internet generation. Right. We live in the age of information. And 
they're going to go out and they're going to see how, okay, I don't think that I want to have an advisor who I have no idea if he's selling me something when I'm talking with him and meeting with him and he's giving me advice when they're giving me advice. And then I think that for the individuals and couples that end up having more wealth, they're also going to go out and they're going to look at the research and say, I don't think that I want an advisor where they are paid a portion of my assets because although early on, that's a great deal, eventually that 1% fee, if it stays 1%, means that I'm going to need like 33% more money in retirement for the 4% rule to work. And I'm not saying I'm a proponent of the 4% rule, but if you think about it in those terms, it's almost like you need 33% more money to have a sustainable portfolio to generate the income that you want. Um, so I think that over the next few decades, probably, probably sooner than that, the commission model will almost completely go away. And then there will only be either fee only investment management focused or advice only planners out there just because it, it makes sense. Right. And I, I tend to think of it from what I think this is me just being like trying to be Nostradamus here, predict the future. Like I think the future of work and we, we saw this with the pandemic and we're seeing it now. Um, Cause like everybody, like being an entrepreneur is like fun. I am someone who considers myself an entrepreneur. I run, you know, different media company that's separate to this. I have a e-learning course type thing. So I very much say this as an entrepreneur, but now it's like, it's what it's cool to be an entrepreneur, but in the same vein, it's never been in that's attractive to a lot of people to make, wait a second, I can make money and not have to go to an office somewhere. or I can like provide income for myself and not be, you know, beholden to a, a big company. I, th I see trends of people and the internet obviously facilitates this increasingly be able to have like, you know, I don't think in five to 10 years, what I'm saying is it's going to be weird for someone to have like three or four jobs, like the average person, not like right now, it's the people that are like, kind of just like, you know, hustlers building, growing, trying to build income streams for themselves. I think like, you know, I think the future of retirement, the literal definition is going to change because like for, for decades in America, it was like, get a job at a company, work for 40 years, amass $1.8 million. You have a pension, social security, 401k. It's like, a, then you spend the last 15 years of your life in retirement. It's a pretty simple formula. I think that's vastly changing to where I think in 10 to 15 years, if someone's like 60 years old, they might have two or three like automated internet businesses that supplement their retirement income and that sort of thing, just because of the way we're evolving with the internet and crypto and DeFi and that sort of thing. So that being said, I think the where people, and there's still going to be the need for good sound financial advice, but firms that are thinking about it in that kind of context, like how can we service those people, not purely on an AUM basis, like in 15 years, given the changing complexity of employment and people's work style and the definition of retirement. I don't think a lot, I think for, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but for me, I, I truly don't envision a time where I'm just like, all right, I'm calling it quits and just hanging out now doing zero. Yeah. Like, like that just doesn't appeal to what I think people that are in their thirties, forties, and, you know, maybe the people that are in their fifties, sixties now, it's kind of like, that's the world they grew up in. That's what they're comfortable with. And that's kind of what they've quite uh, enjoy. And that's fine. That's nothing against that type of traditional mindset, but I just think the industry is going to have to kind of find a way to service. And I, I think it is through your, your model of thinking of, of how to service those people. Right. And I mean, um, I don't even use the term retirement with clients because 
retirement, I think a lot of people think about it. And I don't think a lot of people do this. Like many people that are retired today have retired to a purpose and they're living very fulfilling lives. And I fully mm-hmm. support it. But when I hear the word retirement, what I think of is like going and sipping margaritas on a beach and playing golf all day. Mm-hmm. And after six weeks, I'm going to be an alcoholic and I'm going to be severely sunburned. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I use, like the term that I use the clients is financial independence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really more what most people are pursuing because they don't want to go play golf and margaritas, whatever. Like they want to retire to a purpose. And what that means really is that they're simply switching the work of their everyday from working to make money to working to fulfill a purpose that they want to pursue. Uh, whether it's helping foster children or being involved in their community or working out like helping their church. Um, I think that it's more just like financial independence, which is why I use that term. Like I, I don't even talk about retirement with clients. Um, it's not like a and, fake age. It's not like an artificial age. Like, Oh, now you're this age. Yeah. And now you just change your life all of a sudden. It's more of an evolving thing where you're finding an, if you have enough assets and structuring your life the right way to then basically be able to have the freedom to say, I'm going to do whatever I want. Right. Like, whatever I want within reason, you know, right. Whatever I want, that's going to allow me to continue doing quote unquote, whatever I want. Um, but no, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I, I, I agree with you completely. And I think that the other thing is, um, with this whole, uh, I mean, I'll call it like idolatry of entrepreneurship. I think it's actually pretty harmful. Um, just because being an entrepreneur is great. Like I am enjoying it, but Someone said this to me, and I say it to a lot of people now, that the best part about being an entrepreneur is that everything falls back on you. And the worst part about being an entrepreneur is that everything right. falls back on you. Right. And I think that people, uh, there's a lot of survivorship bias in what people think about entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think about the super hard work that it takes to even get to where that person got. And then also the many other people did the exact same thing and their circumstances didn't work out. Right. And that's unfortunate. Um, like I recognize that there's just as real chance that I wouldn't be sitting here today and having a firm that's thriving as it is that I do have one. Well, there's, um, almost, there's almost actually a better chance that it will fail. I mean, statistically, most small businesses fail, right? I mean, if you look at America, like most small businesses do not make it. And it's a weird paradox for people to wrap their head around because small businesses are also the lifeblood of the American economy. More people are employed by small businesses than large corporations. So it's like a weird thing to wrap your head around that like the small business ecosystem does in entrepreneurs. I mean, if you own a small business, you know, you're an entrepreneur essentially like it, it, it is, it's easy. It's attractive to have that lifestyle, but you're right. It comes with a cost and the likelihood that things aren't going to work out. And that, that might be a societal shift. I think that the people in our society have to kind of maybe get used to, because we're so used to the employer employee relationship. That's kind of defined your financial life for your, the last, whatever, 70 years in America. Yeah. I mean, everything has a price and the price that you're paying when you go work for someone is that you're paying for the, right, you're, the price you're paying is the opportunity cost because you are having a stable, steady job, and that's a great choice. That's not a bad choice at all. But the price you're paying is, you know, the the what if I went out and did it on my own? Like, what would happen? Um, but I think that's something that will happen, though, like you were talking about before, is, you know, we were always told to diversify when we were growing up. Um, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, whatever. I definitely heard that from Mrs. Mills in sure. my 
12th grade. Uh, first shout out Miss Mills. <laughs> yeah, shout out Miss Mills. Um, I hope she listens to this. But uh, the thing is, like, the next step, and I think a lot of Gen Z and millennials and young people are doing this, is diversifying your income. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, I mean, I run one business, well, technically two. The tax firm is a separate entity. But, um, you know, I'm diversifying my income because I have a bunch of different clients. Not, I love them all. I enjoy working with them. But if one of them fires me, it's not going to be the end of the world because I have a bunch of other ones. If I go work at a job, if my boss fires me, that's really bad. At least if I haven't financially prepared for it right. because I only have one boss. Right. So I think what we might see is kind of the hybrid between entrepreneurship and working for a job where, like what you were saying, it's simply diversifying your income. That mm-hmm. way, if you get fired or you don't like it, you have the power and the choice to say, I want to go somewhere else. I mean, not even to mention the increasingly, I mean, I, you know, people for us, it's like, if you plan on social security being around like good luck, right. Because like, I mean, I'm, I'm not even confident it's going to be stable for people that are in their like forties or fifties. I mean, I think people that are 50, 60, 70, I don't think any vast changes are going to happen to your social security. Um, and again, you know, FINRA, SEC listening, this is not financial advice. This is educational and uh, informative here. But like, you know, it's like, I can't even imagine a world where I think people are waking up to the fact that like, wow, like I have to take more control over my financial life than maybe was previously expected or thought of, right? Like social security pensions are a thing of the past. Like every employer has gotten rid of a pension. It's too much liability on their sheets to pay for an employee 30 years later, right? Um, and it's shifted to the consumer, right? So I think it's there's going to be a lot of shakeout periods over the next couple of years, for us people figuring that out. Are you finding people understand how you are maybe different than, say, someone that works at a big brokerage firm that maybe is talking to them about like insurance at first? And oh, yeah, we also do investment management. Like, are you having a hard time having or like what's that process been like basically breaking down like how you're either different or the value add that, um, that you're bringing because a big belief of mine is not like when people ask me what's the difference with you and another firm like I don't believe you should ever like if I talk bad about another firm another business another advisor in the consumer's mind we think we're differentiating based on that but really you're just kind of shit talking the industry which lowers their general feelings about financial advice in general and America's in a retirement crisis so why would I go out and actively like almost harm the industry by talking bad about other things. I think the market will play out. People will eventually evolve to what, what they think is most valuable. So I don't have to worry about like justifying me over another person though. But when you're explaining how you work on that subscription model, which people are familiar with, with Netflix, with Spotify, with everything else, does that resonate with them? Like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm working with him and I, on your website too, which I think is pretty cool. Um, you can, all the prices are on there. Like you can, you've got a really clean, nice, crisp website. People, it's completely transparent. Is that like, is that shocking for a lot of people to see it first? Yeah, actually. And I have had like some fairly shocking interactions with prospects or uh, potential clients where they kind of discover me and they're like, wait, is this even real? And then before they even talk to me, I didn't even realize that they're interested in the business and in becoming a client. And then at the end of us talking, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, I looked at your website. I looked at the calculator, uh, send me the invoice I'm in. And I'm like, what? Like we were just hanging out talking and oh, I I guess you want to be cool. Like, great. You want to become a client. Um, (laughs) But 
Yeah, I think to, to backpedal a little bit, the way that I approach it is that I just explain what I do and I kind of go through the process that I went where I was sitting there finishing up college, realizing, okay, I want to start my own firm. I don't have the skills or the experience yet to help people who have millions, millions of dollars. I don't even know if I actually want to do that. I've been helping young people for a long time, but how do I make a model that just makes sense for them? Mm-hmm. So basically from the start, I just tried to sit down and think, okay, what makes sense for the Gen Z and millennial higher earner who's looking to you know, save on taxes, invest wisely, manage their income intentionally. And that's how I arrived on the subscription model. That's how I arrived on the fact that um, it's a flat fee that's or flat fee is reevaluated about once a year. And it's based on how much income they make, how much net worth they have. And then the uh, complexity of the situation essentially uh, pertaining to mostly their taxes and their crypto. Uh, but what I do is I just sit down and I explain that to them. And then I go through and I say, you know, there's this model and this model works great for if you just want investment management and you're older and you just want someone to do your portfolio and not worry about it. Or this model works great if you have a significant amount of assets and you just want someone to do it and take care of it for you. Um, or this model works great if you just want to have a product, like mm-hmm. if you want to have a term life policy or something. And I explained to them that, you know, that's not what I do. Like if you want an investment manager, that's not me. If you want to get sold insurance, if you need insurance, that's not me. If you want someone who's going to be your personal CFO effectively and help you walk through your financial life, then that is me. But mm-hmm. I basically just explain what I do to them and explain the differences and then say, you know, I, I tried to build my model so that it would work exactly for you. I like it. And I like the, I mean, the um, increasingly efficient and process of you. I mean, you go on, like I look on your LinkedIn, we're being connected, like you put out good, high quality visual content, people engage with it, people like it, like, and then you've built it so people can interact with your business and not necessarily have to, you know, like you, they're doing work by like discovering you going through your website, understanding it, building that trust that sometimes takes two or three meetings. If you, if we were just complete strangers for us to build up that, like, okay, this guy, he's knowledgeable. I understand it. Like they're doing all of that on the upfront in some cases. And it, I'm sure it's amazing when you get that email, that call where it's like, Hey, yeah, like, let's do it. Like, let's sign off. How did you, no, did like, did social media just come natural to you that like, okay, this is where I need to like educate and like showcase what I can do. Did that just come natural being, you know, of the younger generation? Um, I think a little bit. I mean, I, I wouldn't personally say that I'm like great at social media. Like I know that I've been doing pretty well on LinkedIn, but I actually find social media to be really challenging. Um, and one of my first hires that I hope to doing the next year is just like a creative director that'll like teach me how to be cool basically. <laughs> Cause like I'm, I'm a huge business nerd. So I think that I, I do well on LinkedIn, but when it comes to like TikTok or Instagram, I mean, I gotta have someone help me out. <laughs> I'm not trendy or hip enough. Um, but I think that to answer your question, yeah, just like looking at how I look for businesses and how I look for professionals that I work with and how my friends do it. I was just noticing how all of my peers And I do this too. Um, You know, we look at someone on social media, we follow their content, we build trust, build familiarity. And if we like them, then we end up reaching out and asking to work with them. 
And at the same time, I don't consider myself someone to be like good at sales or pitching people or whatever. Right. So I was just like, how do I build a sustainable, repeatable model that will help me to educate, uplift and entertain? Those are like the three tenants that I try to run my social media by. Um, and then while also helping me build the business. So Love that's it. kind of how I arrived to it. And yeah, my goal is that I do pretty much no outreach and just quote unquote farm because, you know, there's a lot of hunters out there and there's farmers out there. Um, but someone taught me how a hunter only has so much capacity because he's the one hunting or right. they're the one. Hunting. But if you're a farmer, then you can end up building a lot more sustainable, repeatable processes that someone else can do as well. Um, in the sense of farmer being social media, building an audience, growing that audience, and then eventually hiring underneath me, as opposed to hunter being, which I don't feel like I'm good at being a hunter, a hunter being someone who's really, really good at sales and, you know, that world, which I don't feel like I'm good or talented at. Prospecting heavy out. Yeah. Heavy, yeah. aggressive outreach. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's more of a natural way to like, no one, like it's like our industry, like think about if someone just called me out of the blue and they were like, Cooper, I've got this car down here at this lot. I mean, I need you to come take a look at it. I'd be like, what the hell? Like, no, like, I don't, even if it was a good deal, like I wouldn't even, my first reaction would be visceral. I would be like, what the hell, who the hell is calling me about this car? We're in the town that I don't, I'm, you know, maybe I need a car, but my first reaction would be to be angry, upset. So we, all of us think like that, right? Every rational person thinks like that. Yet we come to work in the financial industry and we think let's put our hat on. And then, then it's almost like we change people and think that, oh, I think if I just reach out to this many people, then somehow it's like, you know, I'm going to, it's going to work. And it's just like, it doesn't. I mean, it, it does if you do 10,000 and then, you know, a hundred and then one convert like the, you know, typical flow model of it. But, but I, I think you're spot on. It's what we try to do too, is use content to lower the tension, provide upfront value, educate, inspire, uplift, have you thinking good things about money, finance, wealth, wealth management, entrepreneurship. And if you want to work with us, great. We'd, we'd love to work with you. Um, so completely on the same page there. Um, what's yeah. I mean, if I see like a super funny TikTok and it's some dude at a car dealership, like, I don't know. I, I'm see. I'm not funny enough or hip enough. I need to hire someone for this. But like, if I see some dude doing su something super funny at a car dealership, and I notice it's a car dealership where he sells cars, like odds are I might look and I might be interested. But if I just see some TikTok or something on LinkedIn, it's like, hey, buy my goods and services, please, 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 please. I'm like, it's like okay, skip. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. what are you doing? Like, you yeah. know, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and see, end it kind of with, with crypto talk a little bit um, and be careful not to give advice. But like when you're, I see that I've been studying, I wasn't, I was one of the people, I guess I went through an evolution with cryptos where I was aware of it as a finance major in like 2015, 2014 in school, like aware of it, God helping. I wish I would have bought you know, a bunch of Bitcoin and Ethereum back then, um, like anybody, but, but it was something that it was just not really, it was not main. I mean, to get it, you had to like meet somebody's uncle with the USB drive. And like, it was like completely out of my world and like tech, like I didn't know anything about like things like that. Like I was just studying like corporate finance at WVU. Right. right. But then 
I started my career and then by 2017, it gets kicked up again. You're watching the show billions. They're talking about it like crypto <laughs> on heart. Like, yeah. I'm like, like, okay, okay. Now it's becoming, obviously there was a, a nice run up with generally all crypto in 2017, 2018. And then it went kind of cold again for two or three years. And then pandemic 2020 happens. We see, you know, the, one of the craziest uh, consumer adoption of crypto um, right now. What though, and then now it seems to be like we're in a little bit of a consolidation period. And I don't know if like the market, like, are we trying to shape it into being like traditional, like we're, we're treating it like it's traditional assets, like investment companies. And we're almost trying to apply the same logic to behind it when I think it's, it's a different animal, in my opinion. Like, I mean, Bitcoin, if Bitcoin is successful in the theory behind Ethereum and Bitcoin, that revolutionizes like everything, like every industry. Yes. It's yeah. not a company. You can't look at it like it's like, like, like an Amazon stock and let me evaluate it the same way, right? So, I mean, where yeah. do you think, but then the market, we're trying to make them like ETFs. And if, 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 the, if there does come a Bitcoin ETF, I think that you're going to see trillions of dollars flow into it from like retirement assets, which probably will help the price of it. But like, where do you think it in your mind and, and what most people are, when you're talking to them about it, do they see it as like, hey, this is just a, a place where I can get a 5X return really quickly? Or do they see it as like, this is me like buying or like understanding the internet in like 1997, like that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, you just described it. There's a spectrum of people and one side of them is like, this is the future. And the other side of them is like, this is so stupid. It's Beanie Babies all mm -hmm. over again. Um, I think a real quick, funny story. So 2014 is the year that I discovered Bitcoin. I was a bit bored in my first period class in 10th grade. So I browsed Reddit and on Reddit, I discovered, you know, magic internet money, whatever. Right. And I asked my mom if I could buy it. It was like 500 bucks and she wouldn't let me. It went down to 250 and I was like, thanks mom. You know what? I'm glad I would have lost half of me. And then as we all know, it's uh, it's now at what? $44,000. Right. Um, but thankfully I ended up getting it in 2017 and that was the year that I really discovered the technology. Um, and so early 2017, I kind of got into it because I thought it was kind of cool and didn't really understand it, didn't really understand the tech. But then the more research that I did about the tech, the more that I got excited about it, um, which to answer your question, I think that, you know, the, um, the, the speculator in me thinks that crypto could be the next big thing. And I do believe that blockchain technology, not crypto, but blockchain, which is... Sure crypto is a use case of blockchain. I think that blockchain or distributed ledger tech or something similar, maybe the next generation is going to change the world. And I believe that a iteration of it, whatever it ends up being, it could be Ethereum, it could be a different platform, Solana, Pulse Chain, I have no idea. Um, I believe that one of those sooner or later is gonna be the infrastructure upon which the next generation of the world is built upon, just like the internet in the nineties, where you know the internet was super exciting People thought that it was going to be the next big thing. People thought that it was stupid. Uh, pure internet companies were going to the moon. Uh, right. And then you saw this huge crash and all these companies that had no utility, no real use cases or minimal ones, even ones with real use cases and real revenue like Amazon crashed significantly. And you kind of saw the shakeout over like a decade and a half mm -hmm. um, to the point where it took years for Amazon to get back to its 
uh, dot-com bubble highs, and many of them didn't succeed, didn't, they just failed. Um, but I think with crypto and blockchain, I think the same thing might happen where I do believe that it's possible it's the future. Um, but there's also all these fluff projects and there's these projects that basically do nothing or they do something that another project is already doing better or they do something that a simple smart contract could do and there's no reason for them to be around. Um, so but they have as good marketing, on, but they've got good marketing. Right, they have good marketing right. and they have, you know, the Instagram ads and people DMing you saying, buy my NFTs. Right. And so they do well for now. Um, but all that to say, that was a big, long buildup for me to basically say, I have no idea what's going to happen. And anyone who claims that they do, I would be really careful about listening to. And especially when it comes to the price of these specific projects. Because I, I would consider myself a professional and I have no idea what's going to happen with the price of Bitcoin and other cryptos. And the reason for that is like you were saying, you know, companies like Amazon or Nike or Apple have fundamentals. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're companies, I'm just saying that, you know, they have revenue, they have assets, they have liabilities, profit margin, et cetera, right. PE ratios. We can reasonably look at those companies and look at other similar ones and look at the market as a whole and probably get a fairly good grasp on what they're actually valued at. But the thing is, is that with crypto, there are no valuation metrics yet whatsoever. Like how do we value crypto? I have no idea. Do we value it based on how many new wallets are being made every day? How many transactions there are? What the volume is? How many developers are building on it? I have no idea. No one really does. So that was a very long answer. And basically for me to say, I have no idea. And you probably shouldn't, you probably should be really careful of listening to anyone who is throwing out specific numbers and speaking about those numbers with a lot of confidence. Yeah, no, a million percent, um, a million percent. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think when I, when I just, I try to read a lot about it um, and study it, I, I, the use cases of like, even just the, the my, I think of like micro entrepreneurship, someone in like a, a Guatemala farmer or someone like in El Salvador, like some of these countries in like South America have adopted it like as a currency, like from the perspective of would citizens rather hold an inflation like like their native, like if their country is experiencing increasing like violence or civil war and their inflation is ripping through their country, would they rather have hold their native currency? Would they rather accept accept some sort of global recognized like secured network type currency like a Bitcoin? To me, that's like, wow, that's an extremely probably useful use case of things like crypto is that it can cross borders. People in Europe could, it doesn't matter if you hold Bitcoin in Europe or you hold Bitcoin in Australia, it's the same thing. And just using Bitcoin as an example, um, that underlying concept of like a currency that can, can't be artificially you know, changed or devalued from, I mean, you could argue in our own country, like the Fed. I mean, we printed 40% of whatever it is, like some crazy statistic, like 40% of our currency in the last year and a half. Like that's yep. nuts. Like that, that's hard to even wrap your head around how quickly the value of our currency can change. So to me, all of those factors just kind of push the need for some sort of globally like accepted and functional like utility type of store value that can be used and, and bought and sold. So it's like you look at those factors and it's like it's hard, like you're right. It's 
picking one coin or one thing is extremely difficult and risky and shouldn't be advised in banking your whole future on it. But if you can find a way to systematically invest in the, the those broader concepts and technology, I, I tend to think that that's probably a favorable uh, thought process when, when looking at it in, in that regard. Um, now, not to say I'm sure there's people that have made a ton of money in quick run-ups, but that almost is the difference between like someone day trading versus someone investing over 40 years or something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you, and I don't have the numbers for this, if someone's listening to this and wants to make it, I would literally love you so much. But I believe that if you look at the really big picture um, with the performance of companies during the dot-com bubble, you would see, and again, I don't have the numbers, I have not done all this, but this is speculation, that most of the pure internet companies just straight up failed and evaporated. But many of the companies who were around, who had excellent customer bases, high quality leadership, significant competitive advantages, and then realized that the internet was coming and the internet was going to be a big deal and adapted and added it to their competitive advantage. I think that if you looked for the numbers, you would find that those companies did the best over, say, a certain amount of years on either end before mm -hmm. and after the bubble. Um, and it's possible the same thing could happen here with crypto. And I think that that's a very real possibility where most of these pure crypto projects end up evaporating into nothing. Maybe a few, kind of like Amazon, maybe a few end up becoming the next infrastructure the world's built upon and they actually you know, go to the moon and whatever people think that they're going to do when they're speculating today. Um, but then the companies today that end up adapting and taking advantage of blockchains, many use cases, not just crypto, but also its application to healthcare mm -hmm. and supply chain and logistics and to banking and to insurance and all these other industries. I think that they are the real long-term plays. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, I could spend, I think you, you could as well. I could spend five hours talking about this type of stuff. I absolutely love it. I think you're, I think you're doing a great job. Um, I think you're ahead of the curve and I, I, I hope to, I hope you see that and I hope you, I think you do, but I hope you realize that I think you're, you are three or four years ahead of where I think the majority of the industry will at least incorporate into their practice to a degree. Um, so I, keep it up, man. Where can people, what's the easiest way to find you? What's where, where can people go? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. You know, the goal is to skate where the puck's going to be. Like I was saying, um, for people, if you're listening to this and you just want to hang out, talk crypto, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just search Zechariah Schaefer. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Zechariah's.adventures. Um, those are honestly probably the best two places to find me. I suppose you could email me too. Um, and then if you're interested in working with me, you know, if you're a Gen Z or millennial crypto investor, ideally also employed in STEM or healthcare, and you feel like you have unique needs on your employment side and then also with your crypto, then I'd say check out my website, look at the process, the pricing, it's all there. You can put in your info and figure out an exact quote. And then if you're interested, let me know. Um, but I would at least, at the very least, love to connect with you on social media and follow each other's journeys. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Zechariah. We'll wrap it there. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Coffee with Connections. See you guys later.